Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is January 23rd at time of recording, episode 134. Coming at you right now. Should be a fun one recapping the divisional round of the NFL playoffs at the top of our podcast before we get into some news and notes around sports, including the NHL and MLB. After that, should be a lot of fun before we finish off with questions as always. But with that being said, I'm here to welcome my great friend, my awesome co-host, Donnie. Donnie, how you doing today, man? Well, just living the dream, obviously. Just got off work, as per usual. We are, we have set up a time that just works so well for both of us, it feels like. Uh, maybe not on the right day all, every time. Obviously, we got to deal with uh, the, the lovely sports schedule that exists. But we've done we've done very well to get back to a, a scheduled time, and it makes me it makes me very happy. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. There's a little bit of a little extra pep in my step today, I'd say. Yeah, I love it. A little bit of uh, normalcy for us uh, recording here early in the week, recapping what we saw over the weekend. So should be a good one. You know, Donnie, you got a pep in your step, but you probably didn't on Saturday evening because unfortunately for you, your New York Giants, really, they, you know, showed up to Lincoln Financial Field to face the Eagles, but they didn't really play like they were ready to go by any means in this game. The Eagles really kind of had their way with the Giants. And we even said it all week during our preview show last week, you know, not necessarily too, too surprising. I think both of us thought the Giants would be a little bit closer in this game than they were. But, uh, you know, overall, I think you got to say still a successful season for the Giants, still a very young team, a team that really had no business making it as far deep and, and winning a playoff game on the road as they did. A lot of positives to point at with the Giants, uh, albeit in kind of a somber fashion with getting blown out to, you know, one of your division rivals. But, uh, you know, it's been a couple of days now. You know, are you fully in offseason mode already with the Giants? Uh, where's kind of your head at uh, as it relates uh to uh to your football team there with the Giants no um I don't really care about football that much okay when, when the Giants when the Giants are no longer uh, I'm rooting for the Chiefs as per usual every year it's the same the same cycle um I, if you had told me hey the Giants are missing the playoffs I would have been on the Chiefs six weeks ago so it doesn't necessarily matter to me that much uh all in all there's about five teams six teams that come into the NFL every year that have a chance to win the Super Bowl Giants were not one of them I was I was not fooling myself and thinking the Giants were winning the Super Bowl. Uh, they were heavy dogs this week, so I didn't really expect them to win the game. As uh, if anybody listened to last week's podcast, uh, I was feeling like saying, "Yeah, you know, Minnesota, great win." Uh, it's 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 not it, no 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 further from here. It's it's call it call it a week, call it a season. You've done well. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised by the result at all. I'm not bothered by the result at all. I think there's it's very clear that the Giants, um, in terms of roster talent, they're just they weren't on the level of any of the teams in the playoffs, really. Like even the Minnesota Vikings, you could say the Vikings roster is clearly stronger than the Giants is. Without yeah. a doubt, there's no question in the slightest there. And I think you could go around pretty much every other um playoff team at least in the nfc maybe you know we'll leave out the little seattle seahawks they can sit aside because i i'm not really who who knows about them but other than that it was very clear that the giants did not have the roster to keep up uh, it was going to catch up to them eventually i think the eagles game you you would have uh, pretty much anybody and their mother would have said yeah you know this is this is yeah. a tough matchup um is what it is really um but the real question is on the other hand you know we've talked about this Last night, you said you're thinking the Eagles are going to win this week against the Niners. You think they have a good chance, uh, and you think they'll be playing in the Super Bowl. You've even considered buying uh, Super Bowl tickets. You're looking into plane fl- plane flights uh, already, which is a little bit little bit premature, I would say. Um, are Are you worried at all? Are Are you Are you Are you nervous? Are you Are you super confident? What's the move here? Yeah, I, I feel good about the Eagles, just given the fact that they're still going to be at home for this game. I think the Niners kind of present them their biggest challenge in the NFC. That was, uh, you know, they're, they're, that's a team that's been getting a lot of hype, uh, obviously, with how they've been playing since Brock Purdy has taken over. And we know about how great their defensive line is, uh, even though I would argue that the Eagles defensive line has been the most dominant unit uh, of any in the NFL this season. So I think the Niners definitely present a lot of challenges, really strong run game, obviously, with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, kind of leading the way for him and uh, still some really dynamic playmakers with Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk that the Eagles will have to, uh, you know, take down. But uh, I think this game that we saw from them this past Saturday, uh, you know, gives them a lot of confidence. A lot of the question marks that we had with the Eagles coming in, would there be 
any kind of rust factor with the team not playing as dominant over the last few weeks? Would there be any issues with Jalen Hurts' ability to be a productive quarterback with a shoulder injury? I think all those were kind of put to bed and saying, okay, this is still that Eagles team that we saw all year be so great. Uh, so it does give me a lot of confidence in how they will play against the Niners, even though I do agree that they pose the biggest threat uh, to knocking off the Eagles in the NFC. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I do think that you may be sleeping. Uh, at least last night, you, you were talking as if it was maybe a foregone conclusion. Uh, when, when you start thinking about flights and and, and Super Bowl tickets, uh, maybe we need to take a slight step back, but I do respect it. Uh, it's uh, more, like, you know what I'm saying on that, Donnie, is like, I got to get to the complete other side of the country. So I'm just, you know, early eyeballs on. They got to win the game there. first. They, I don't care where you are. They got to win the game first, my guy. We're talking about an Eagles team that, you know, played a pretty, pretty bad last week of the season. Uh, weeks before that, they lost to the Saints. The Cowboys uh, barely beat the Bears in a game where they really didn't do anything to yeah. deserve a win against the Bears. So maybe we just, you know, obviously a huge win against the Giants, no, no question about it, but maybe just take a step back just ever so slightly here. Just just a little bit, a little bit of cautious and caution until 3 p.m. on Sunday. And then, yeah. you know, you go from there, maybe 5 p.m. rolls around, the Eagles are up double digits, and then you start looking, oh, Arizona, hey, you know, I can yeah. get there. Um, hey, I hope so. Now, gotta relax, gotta relax a little bit. I, I hope so, and I plan on going to the game uh, for the Eagles this weekend. Got the day off uh, from working hockey game, so I figure I might as well make the trip. See the birds in Philly again, so yeah, I uh, I expect to go and, uh, you know, see how they do against the Niners, so it uh, should be a fun one, you know, as you said, yeah, still gotta, you know, handle 60 minutes of business at home, but, uh, you know, with the performance that we saw from the Eagles, from A.J. Brown to Devontae Smith to Miles Sanders and uh, even Kenneth Gainwell, who led the way on the rushing attack, uh, you know, all really kind of, you know, picked up, uh, you know, with some of the top performances they've had this year. So uh, definitely felt good uh, from an Eagles perspective. But um, yeah, we'll see how they do against the Niners, uh, you know, after they knock off Dallas. We can touch on that game here really quickly. Kind of thought it was, uh, you know, I, I think it, it was the closest uh, game uh, you know, at least in terms of margin, it was tied for the closest game with the Chiefs game, but I think it was kind of the most competitive game. Dallas had a little bit of an opportunity there at the end of the game when they got the ball back, ran maybe one of the worst play designs I've ever seen on the final play of the game with Zeke Elliott as the center and all the linemen were flanked out. Uh, like outside the numbers. So they rushed two guys and there's issues for the Cowboys. I mean, just a complete disaster is last play, which really just falls completely on brand with what we say about the Cowboys every year. We're just waiting for them to get pretty much to this spot, the divisional round of the playoffs where they got to play, you know, a team that's actually really good, not like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were below 500. Uh, and then, you know, they're unable to, you know, muster up enough offense in this case uh, with Tony Pollard going down uh, to knock off the Niners who really kind of struggled uh, in this game offensively. So even though the Dallas defense performed really well in this game. Uh, Dak Prescott unable to, uh, you know, really put up a strong enough performance to get the Cowboys the win. Uh, Want to quickly touch on them, Donnie, just given the fact that the Cowboys are obviously in the same division uh, as the Eagles and Giants, two teams we watch a lot. Uh, any thoughts on Dallas? How do we fix Dallas? You know, it seems like they just always run into this issue where they get to this point of the playoffs uh, before they go down. What do you even kind of say about the Cowboys moving forward so that they could potentially, you know, get past this, get back to a Super Bowl? Uh, what are your thoughts on Dallas in terms of what they need to do differently for next year? Well, first, I think it's important to touch on the game, just what happened in general to see, because it is, as you mentioned, a very uh, usual Dallas Cowboys loss in the playoffs. Unfortunate for Cowboys fans, because again, as much as we hate the Cowboys, their fans are extremely passionate. Uh, they've got very clearly the largest fan base in the sport. So it, it's a, there's a lot of heartbreak for a lot of people every single year. Uh, and it stems again. You know, I, I don't want to be rude or anything, but Dak Prescott clearly just not. He's got the Tony Romo type, um, you know, you know, ch choke in him. Maybe not a choke necessarily, but a guy that is not um, not worth the $52 million or whatever he's going to be making next year, $50 million he's planning on making next year. Um, it, it's tough. I think really if you're trying to fix the Cowboys, first off, the first thing comes with like looking at this game and seeing, oh, the guy that we're paying to be our cornerstone, Ezekiel Elliott, did absolutely nothing. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott has not been the greatest playoff running back. There's no real question about that. It's very uh, hit or miss performance, especially in recent years uh, where he is, I guess it's hard to call a guy aging because he's, like, I, I, do you want to be called aging at 27 archaic? I certainly don't, but it, he's for a running back. He's 35 or 40 at this point. Yeah. He's, I would say he's seasoned. Is he's what I would seasoned say about. for yeah. sure. And, and you could tell this year, like, 
Tony Pollard was the better running back. Tony Pollard got hurt in this game. Um, uh, once again, it's unfortunate. The reality of, of things is I, I think we've seen the best that we're going to see out of Zeke in his career. I think that we're past that. And I think there's a very, very realistic possibility that his contract is a big detractor for their success long term. Uh, we're talking about a team that will have to start giving some big money to younger players. I mean, we're talking about CeeDee Lamb, who is going to need real money at some point, correct? Like, there's no question about it. Micah Parsons in two years, like maybe we're talking about an overhaul that starts with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know what the cap figures are. Um, and it's always, it's always interesting trying to go through that, but you would have to think like, there's no way Zeke makes it more than maybe one more year, given the fact that there are more important players like CD lamb, like, I mean, you know, it, there's no question that you're going to need to give Micah Parsons a, a career high like a league high contract he's going to get a uh, crazy money for what he does so maybe we're at a point where the eagle or the cowboys got to take a step back from the whole feed zeke feed zeke feed zeke thing uh, i don't know if they'll be able to move him because it's it's a running back you know right. it is what it is but uh, you have to think tony pollard is a ufa he's got to be the one taking uh full control of this cowboys offense if he's not they're wasting money probably on spending you know, 30, 35 million on two running backs, assuming that Zeke and, and Pollard are both on the roster. So it's hard. And you, I've been, I've been talking shit about Zeke for all these, all these years, pardon my French, but it's time. We got it. We got to just move on. They got it. They got to let it go. It's a tough spot for Dallas. Uh, not only Pollard free agent, as you said, Dalton Schultz as well, who I didn't think necessarily had a, a great game in this one. Kind of was a little careless <laughs> yeah, at times. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, 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 a, that's a really hard way to put it. That's a really good way to put it, given the fact that, you know, I just want to touch on that real quick. 15-second runoff, end of the game. You're a 6'5", 250 tight end. Just take a hit. You get the extra yard or two yeah. and then drag your foot. It's literally muscle memory. Like if you're yeah. catching a football, he's done this hundreds of tens of thousands of times. He's ran for out. How does that happen? How does it happen? Yeah, uh, it, it can't happen uh, basically for uh, for Dalton Schultz, who despite the errors at the end of this game, you know, I think has had uh, a strong season and has developed good chemistry with Dak Prescott, especially in the red zone. So uh, maybe there's a chance that Dallas wants to bring him back. Also, Leighton Van Der Esch, another free agent. So that brings more complications to the Ezekiel Elliott situation because you may have a chance to, uh, you know, eliminate that contract, get rid of it, a $16 million cap hit, but you get $12 million in dead cap. So do you want to pay him, you know, gain $4 million in your salary cap uh, space, but you're paying Zeke to play against you now? Uh, you know, those are kind of the questions where it's like, gosh, is is that worth it? You know, uh, we're, you're not freeing the full cap hit if, uh, if you move on from Zeke, and I would hardly doubt that there would be a team that would trade for him. So that puts Dallas in a tough spot uh moving forward on that front you brought up good points with parsons uh needing contract cd lamb needing a contract upcoming trayvon diggs i would also argue you know when you have the turnover volume that he does he's going to want to get paid a lot and uh, maybe a more logical option for Dallas to move on than a guy like Tony Pollard, who, um, you know, for the last couple of years, people had been saying, this guy is way better than Zeke. We need to run our offense through him this year. We actually finally saw that where they, we, we saw kind of the change in touches uh, more go towards Pollard. So uh, tough situation for Dallas, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of find the words to, to fix them because they haven't even been able to do it themselves uh, despite a lot of talent on that roster and, and high expectations year in, year out. Uh, it's another divisional round road loss uh, with their quarterback, Dak Prescott, not able to come through and even muster up more than 12 points. Definitely a big disappointment uh, for Dallas in this one. All right, let's move on, though, quickly to uh, to the AFC. Let's talk about that matchup. Uh, it will be Cincinnati and Kansas City going at it at Arrowhead, which will be an interesting matchup that we'll touch on. But first, how we got there, I, I think the biggest surprise of the weekend had to be the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals went into Buffalo and had no problem at all knocking off the Bills. They won by 17 points on the road. Uh, the Bills' offense just could not figure it out. Uh, you know, we knew all year that the run game was a challenge for him, but uh, even though Stefan Diggs was uh, involved in the offense, they weren't able to uh, really kind of get over that hump. Cincinnati's defense was kind of bend but not break and um, really ended up kind of shutting things down. And Joe Burrow was doing his thing on the offensive side, finding Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Joe Mixon was playing well. P. Ryan was a good running back duo balance for Cincinnati. So everything was kind of clicking for him. And again, I think we got to give a lot of credit uh, to, to Zach Taylor in this one, another big 
you know, marquee game. This was a matchup we kind of saw coming for a lot of the second half of the season in the NFL, you know, an anticipated rematch after what we know happened with DeMar Hamlin in Cincinnati. And the Bengals came ready to go. No issues firing on all cylinders, even in the snow. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow was able to kind of get it done uh, in uh, in Buffalo. So uh, what did you kind of make from uh, from this game? I, I think it was uh, was a little bit surprising, at least on my end, uh, just how dominant the Bengals were from start to finish. Yeah, I think the weird thing that you would have said originally is like, oh, Buffalo snow game. Like we're thinking, oh, massive advantage. Um, turned out it was actually a major disadvantage. They couldn't get anything on the, going on the ground, period, uh, which is interesting given the fact that you would have thought this is a Josh Allen game where, you know, the, the weather is bad. He's going to have to try to move the ball with his legs because the arm wasn't going to work. And again, we've seen issues with Josh Allen's arm throughout the year through a pick, costly turnover, had some issues holding on the ball in the snow. And again, as you mentioned, those Bengals, man, like, the playoff Bengals are just dip, they're just different. Like I don't know what it is. They get to the playoffs. They play dominant football. Um, it, it, I'm I was at loss for words. I came home and watched the game in full in entirety. Um, I zoomed through it, and I was really just more surprised to see. First off, like there were there were definitely times where Stephon Diggs looked like he was frustrated on the field and also off the field. Uh, there were some times that there, there, I think there was two different instances where he was yelling at Josh Allen on the sidelines, which is something that you wouldn't have seen this year like maybe at all it felt like they were pretty like close-knit like relax everything was going right. well the, and then Stefan Diggs put up what I would call for a, an alpha receiver a number one a goose egg that is as close to a zero as you can get four for 35 um, the fourth leading receiver on the team against the Bengals team where their leading receiver was Jamar Chase albeit not the greatest game in the world it just it comes to a point where uh, the Bills love to lose in the playoffs the Bills are great at losing in the playoffs and the Bengals seem to be this this just different animal, especially after starting this year. I believe that this puts them on a 10-game win streak, including playoff games now. Uh, they, they, I think they finished the season with eight straight wins, uh, albeit no Bills game. And then they beat the Ravens, beat the Bills in the playoffs. It's interesting. I, I It's crazy. I think that the Bills-Chiefs game, uh, obviously we'll talk about the Chiefs in a second, Bengals-Chiefs game, we're, we're going to be talking about one of the, the greatest uh, potential, like, Walk it, walking into this one, I would say it looks like one of the greatest conference championship games we could potentially ever have, given the the historic background. Uh, the last couple meetings have been very close, very good games. So yeah, no doubt, and especially the fact that again, it's you know Cincinnati, that team that kind of has everybody's number at the top of the AFC, including Kansas City. So uh, the Bengals continue to move on. I, the only thing I'll just kind of finish up on Buffalo, to your point, you know, for a team that was kind of heavily marked as, oh, this team is the Super Bowl favorite, you know, look out, this team is as dangerous as anybody. You know, you look at the last three years where they've kind of been in this kind of championship window and only one AFC championship game appearance uh, in those three years, definitely a disappointment uh, on the side of Buffalo. But we kind of knew uh, you said it uh, when we were talking kind of about about the the Giants earlier there's probably five or six teams that had a chance to win uh the Super Bowl I, I would say Dallas would probably be that sixth team that if you bought into them at all maybe you could argue it but given their playoff history probably not I think that Buffalo Cincinnati and Kansas City you know one of those three was going to go down before the conference title game and uh, I think we expected Buffalo to be a little bit closer especially at home in this game than they were but uh you know it's going to be somebody that goes down so tough situation for them they will obviously get Von Miller back next year from injury uh you you know, I think that could help out their pass rush. But um, I'd say overall, Bills uh, need to improve the offensive line, help out Josh Allen a little bit more, maybe muster up a little bit more successful run game with guys like James Cook and Devin Singletary, uh, who I still think have a little bit of ability themselves. So, uh, yeah, interesting game there. And uh, we will uh, see how Cincinnati does uh, next week as they take on the Kansas City Chiefs, who took care of business against Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars at home in the divisional round. Uh, a little bit of a close game and a little bit of a scare for Patrick Mahomes in that one. Injured his ankle, ends up coming back in the second half and uh, plays pretty strong. I, I think that'll kind of be another storyline. Oh, his Mahomes ankle is fine. It's still Patrick Mahomes, so uh, I don't think it will limit him too much in terms of what he can still do. I thought he played pretty strong in the second half, uh, despite kind of limping around a little bit I, I don't think that there will be too much kind of holding him or the offense back uh, in the conference championship game but uh, easier for me to say than if I was Patrick Mahomes dealing with the ankle injury on a daily basis too so uh, but in terms of this game Chiefs they were able to get it done uh, Jaguars you know trying to bolster a comeback late a late fumble kind of cost them uh, before they were able to just cut it to a one score game but too little too late for them uh, what did you make out of this game you know Kansas City obviously a team that we all think can uh, you know get back there win the Super Bowl fun team to watch electric but um didn't necessarily feel like they were firing on all all cylinders even despite the Mahomes injury but uh, what did you kind of make of uh, of that game that we saw between the Chiefs and Jags 
Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I just first want to touch on the the whole high ankle sprain thing. As somebody who has had a high ankle sprain as a non um, elite athlete, it's it's awful. It's a brutal time. Yeah. I I was playing baseball, um, and I I had a pretty tough high ankle sprain. It took me. I was on crutches for a couple of days. It took me a couple of weeks to heal up. So um, obviously, he's gonna have the best treatment in the world, but it's gonna hurt like crazy. Probably that's not a quick recovery it's not like uh oh four days later he's feeling great no issues with his ankle it's a oh this is going to nag him the rest of the playoffs no doubt whether or not they win uh, so it's interesting I was a little bit surprised maybe just to see like how this game ended up developing the Jaguars didn't seem like they really had much answer for the Chiefs uh, from time to time although they did keep in the game uh, it really ended up being a weird usage game I would say Trevor Lawrence threw the ball a little bit too much I would say they ended up leaning on him to throw almost 40 times when they had uh, what I would say was the most surprising part of this game is Etienne's runs were, were very impressive. Him and Hasty were doing a pretty decent job uh, chunking yards, getting big plays. And I would have I would have really liked to see them maybe try to stick with that a little bit more. Now, we are talking about a game that was pretty much like a one score or 10 point game throughout the entirety of the game for the most part. So uh, that was the only thing that confused me. I don't know if you feel the same way or not, um, but. You know, you never really want to put your your brand new young quarterback. You know, he's he's getting his first real taste of of the Chiefs playoff football, which is never an ideal matchup for anybody. Nobody will ever enjoy playing the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I just thought they maybe could have leaned on the run a little bit more. You know, you're giving up 14 handoffs, uh, great and all, throwing 40 times in the game. But in a close game against the Chiefs team, that is very hit or miss. Both, uh, you know, just in general, stopping high end running backs, which I think you can call Travis Etienne uh, at this point. I was just surprised to see them not maybe try at least to establish a run and keep the run going because it seemed like it was working pretty well. Yeah, uh, very, very fair points, uh, especially looking back. You know, tough, obviously, when you're losing, but you still got to work it in if you're Doug Peterson calling the plays. Uh, I definitely agree with that and definitely think they have got a little bit to uh, go off of with ETN. You know, this was pretty much his rookie year, even though his second year in the NFL, injured for uh, all of his uh, real rookie years. So uh, it was good to see him, you know, have some strong performances in the playoffs. But maybe a little bit more there for Jacksonville. You know, still a good year for them. I uh, don't think anybody really thought they were going to be making the playoffs or winning a playoff game. So. Uh, good for them, and, and maybe that's a little bit for Lawrence and, and Peterson to build on uh, going into uh, next season for them. But, uh, yeah, that's it for uh, for the Jags. The Chiefs, uh, they'll be hosting Cincinnati, uh, yeah. a team that really kind of has their number, which is uh, really interesting. Uh, you know, the Bengals were able to knock off the Chiefs last year uh, in the postseason as well as this year in the regular season. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those teams match up again. It could be kind of a fun, high-scoring affair with two teams that uh, are known for their offensive fire works uh as well so uh any kind of early predictions from you donnie on who you like in that matchup between cincinnati and kansas city i would probably take the chiefs but i it's just how it's going to be i i'm not picking against the chiefs ever period end of story just how it is um it's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes, regardless of who the quarterback on the other side is. We're talking about Joe Burrow, who is also uh, very clearly an elite quarterback. So it's not really much of a of a worry there. But it, it comes to the point where you just got to sit there and think, hey, you know, the Chiefs, they got to get one at some point, right? They're going to have to win one of these games at some point. And, and again, uh, teams played pretty solid. They've had some scares down the stretch, but we're talking about another team that's won uh, now six straight. They, they didn't really have much of an issue, um, you know, with the Jaguars. The Jaguars kept it close, but not close enough to really matter. I would take the Chiefs probably in a close game. You know, I would be scared to say 27-24 because we've seen 27-24 uh, multiple times. But uh, I would say if a three-point game sounds about on par here, I'd say that's that's a fair guess to say Chiefs by three maybe is the most likely outcome. Yeah, very uh... – very fair. I'm leaning Cincinnati, though, in this one. I just like the reason history and how the Bengals have played head-to-head -head against KC. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to pick against the Chiefs in any uh, time, but Cincinnati is kind of that team where I feel like they have been up to the task and they have played really clean, solid football. They still have a lot of the same pieces they had last year. So I like Cincinnati to come away with uh, with the win over KC, but hopefully for a uh, – hoping for a really close classic AFC title game, even overtime game, uh, would be a lot of fun uh, to see how that pans out. Uh, over in the AFC. So should be a fun conference championship Sunday this upcoming week. Obviously, we'll break things down uh, with how things turn out with the Niners and Eagles and Bengals and Chiefs uh, in our next show. So you guys will have to tune in for that. But with that, 
We'll move on here uh, to some other news and notes around the sports world. We'll start here in the NHL. We had a head coach firing happen with the Vancouver Canucks. Moving on from Bruce Boudreau, uh, kind of an interesting little tenure there for Bruce Boudreau. Took over last year midseason uh, for the Canucks before they actually played pretty well towards the end of the season. Boudreau kind of turned things around, still ended up missing the playoffs. But uh, a lot of people really kind of applauded and respected what Boudreau was able to do uh, last year in you know, what is a uh, you know shortened year, a year where your fire head coach mid-year uh you know tough situation to walk in but uh you know this year not the same case by any means tough year for the canucks in net uh thatcher demko not quite able to have as duplicate of a performance as he had last season also some challenges on the back end oliver ekman larson been healthy scratched a couple times this season as well so i think that was a big reason for criticism from the canucks uh you know in terms of uh coaching decisions there but uh tough situation it was really odd uh his last game with the canucks uh he was very emotional on the bench a lot of the fans supporting bruce brudrow still you know with signs saying we want to keep him around so uh very odd situation it's not often that you would see you know a head coach emotional on the bench uh you know right before they get fired with a lot of fan support uh an odd situation for sure uh but the canucks end up making that call moving on from bruce Boudreau, they hire rick tockett who was working on the tnt set uh for nhl games and formerly coached the arizona coyotes so uh change for the canucks i still am skeptical that the canucks can you know turn it around and qualify for the postseason this year similar situation to where they were last year even when Boudreau started to do well but interesting situation all in all donnie uh first let's start on the bruce Boudreau side did you think that uh the Canucks should have handled this situation any differently yeah I think they could have handled it almost completely differently uh it, it's just a shame because I think NHL coaches for the most part deserve a little bit of respect it's a very high pressure job regardless of the results you're getting uh, and you wouldn't see a team like let's say the Anaheim Ducks with Dallas Eakins you wouldn't see them then um I, I they would never even consider doing something like that uh, to their coach uh, whereas Vancouver it seemed like you know the writing was on the wall for for weeks if not a month plus now um and it, i'm sure that it affected the team uh, how they played as well given the fact that if Bruce Boudreaux can't coach knowing hey this is my team this is my my i guess you could say my idea my my vision moving forward like if somebody else is going to step in and take over what's the point of me even coaching what's the point of me being here and i'm sure the players felt the same given the fact that oh you know the the gm's gone around saying oh we've got a bunch of contracts on the team we can't move because these players stink and they're getting paid they're getting paid too much for their output uh, and uh publicly slandering bruce boudreau um a couple of times and then you know obviously leaving him on the bench for these very hard games uh even he brought it up saying, oh, maybe they kept me for these games because they know they were going to lose because the roster's not that talented. And then they brought in Coach Tockett. Um, you know, obviously he's got to play through the gauntlet of Tampa and then Colorado and then Edmonton. And then the team's coming up. We've got, oh, Chicago, Seattle, not too bad. Vancouver versus Columbus. Wow, he can win this game. So maybe they've, uh, they were planning to do that to give Rick Tockett a head start towards winning some games. I hate the idea of just treating a, a, a longtime hockey man who has done nothing wrong like this and I think you'd probably agree with me it's like it just makes them look bad free agents won't want to sign there I don't know why Rick Tockett even wants to coach there but maybe the options are slim and none like it's just it, it they couldn't have done a worse job with Bruce and I really do truly feel bad for him how he's had to deal with all this yeah, I, I do agree. And, you know, even still, like, it's such a flawed roster. Like, I'm kind of like, what did you guys expect to happen with the Canucks? I don't think anyone thought that they would be, you know, without a doubt, one of the top three teams in the Pacific this year. So uh, even if Thatcher Demko was able to have, you know, a bounce back year or not necessarily bounce back, but a repeat performance of what he did last year, been injured uh, for a lot of this year, even with some mediocre performances. But just a, not a uh, complete roster, despite, you know, some guys that are good. Obviously, you look at Quinn Hughes and you're like, OK, this is a guy signed on a pretty decent contract, still 23 years old. Maybe someone you could build around. Elias Pettersson, still 24 years old. OK, maybe that's a guy, but uh, there's just not enough depth. And I don't even think the prospect pool is, uh, you know, bright enough to where you're that optimistic about, you know, the near future. So in that situation, I would look at this roster and think, OK, maybe is it time for a reset? Do we trade a guy like Bo Horvat this year at the deadline? I think that would 
possibly make a lot of sense to start getting some, uh, you know, more future assets, whether it be prospects or draft capital. So uh, a lot of things that the Canucks need to kind of figure out. I don't think necessarily being behind the bench is, uh, you know, kind of where the direction needs to change first, because I think that it's mostly an issue with, uh, you know, how the roster was constructed uh, in terms of, you know, what is their direction? Is it this year? Because to me, it doesn't necessarily look like that. And a head coach firing in season, to me, at least implies that you are still trying to qualify for the postseason this year. So uh, I don't necessarily understand what the Canucks are thinking here long term. Uh, It's just to me kind of an organization that's in kind of that, you know, middling state, but even kind of a worse middling state because they can't even get to a playoff spot. So you're like out of a playoff spot, but you're not worse where you're in the hunt really for Connor Bedard even. So I don't necessarily know what to say with the Canucks. I, I think that the issue lies within the roster, but I'm not sure that their decision making, you know, kind of backs that up. Yeah, it's weird. Like the whole midseason coaching change thing, I don't, it, NHL especially, it just seems like it's a really bad idea because hockey is such a strategy based game that uh, anybody that comes in, Rick Tockett's not going to be able to change anything, is he? Like he's going to come in, he's going to try to run his own system. The team is going to be bad still. Uh, the Canucks are going to trade all these players. Uh, Rick Tockett's going to be coaching a roster with uh, Dakota Joshua playing on the second line. And then we're just going to go from there. It, it is what it is. Uh, it's really weird. Um, I just, you, you got to hope. That somewhere along the lines, you know, Bruce Boudreaux finds another job or if he wants another one. And you got to hope, you know, the Canucks that they can somehow pull out of this mess. But I think they've put themselves in a position where they're being looked at by the rest of the league is like, Blackhawks-esque like like the last couple of years it's been really tough for Chicago uh, they look really really bad in terms of their just PR handling uh, you never want to see a guy a coach crying on the bench you never want to see that happen and the fans really got behind them which was very emotional even for somebody like us uh, we're not West Coast hockey fans neither of us are rooting for the Canucks neither of us are sitting here here cheering uh, for a Vancouver hockey team but you, it, it's hard to see uh, somebody who's very well respected and obviously Bruce Boudreaux has like done TV too. So you kind of know a little bit more about the personality. It just seems like an all around good guy. It just, it sucks to see hockey. Just the, the business of hockey can be so cruel, especially when you have ownership and management who very clearly just don't care about their coaching staff, which is, I guess, not surprising because hockey's hockey, but um, I don't know if you're if you're an outward hockey fan, if you're a, a casual hockey fan and you're reading into this Bruce Boudreau thing, why would you want to be a hockey fan seeing oh this is just if you're living in Vancouver thinking, oh, maybe I should go to a Canucks game. Why would you even consider that seeing what happened? Pretty tough situation as things sit right now for Vancouver. They're 14 spots behind, or 14 points rather, uh, behind the you know second wild card spot, uh, and nine points up on the last team in the NHL. Either like absolutely among the worst spots you could be in uh, for a team. So uh, you know, I think no question, Bo Horvat will be on the move this year at the deadline, and he'll be uh, kind of a top name to look out for uh, from a Canucks standpoint. But um, you know, tough, tough look uh, as you said, with in terms of you know trading your head coach Bruce Boudreaux, kind of kicking him to the curb and uh you know we're even not sure what kind of the future holds uh for this organization either so uh good conversation there on uh you know tough situation for uh the vancouver canucks but uh and one team that's not having any trouble though donnie we got to talk about the boston bruins again because one of the best teams in the nhl this season i would say the best team in the nhl this season and it seems like they're only getting better winners of nine of the last 10 and five in a row their goaltender linus olmark Quickest to 25 wins in NHL history, save percentage over 930. I mean, just a dominant team like like the Can- or the Bruins rather. Like they they they've just been so good, so consistent all year. Like, is it gonna slow down ever? Like, is there any thoughts to the Bruins? Uh, you know, running into a wall at any point? I mean, I didn't expect them to uh, you know, get off to the hot start they did, but let alone continue this dominance here into January. Uh, what's kind of your thoughts on uh, where the Bruins are at uh, right now overall? Yeah, it's really interesting because they're currently averaging 1.7 points per game. Um, So, you know, there's a a max of two points per game we're talking here. Uh, They're on pace for 139 points for the season, which is almost unimaginably good, I would say. Uh, Something that you wouldn't have pictured, especially with the Bruins who early in this year we were talking about. uh, Probably a wild card team, maybe a bottom end uh, divisional team. And it also, it's it's funny to think about, you know, obviously Olmark 25-2-1, really just incredibly impressive, uh, you know. The other goalies on the team have gone 12, 3, and 3. So they've also done a pretty good job getting it done. Uh, just in general, uh, it's really surprising to me to see the Bruins this good. Uh, I guess it does lead you to believe, you know, all, all it takes is a, a, a proper coaching change, even with a good team. Uh, you know, we were very 
questionable um, on the whole Jim Montgomery thing from Bruce Cassidy, given the fact that they were a 107 point team last year. But it yeah. is, it's how does this, how do you get better from 107 points to a point where you're up 32 points potentially by the end of the year? That's just it's mad to me, especially Linus Olmark, who's a guy who kind of stepped in and, and was like a middle end starting goalie. And now he's cementing himself age 29 as like an elite goaltender in the league out of nowhere. Pretty impressive, I would say. Um, the Bruins, we've talked about them a couple of times. It's crazy. They're, they're scary. They're real scary. They do everything right. They're going to add probably at the deadline, which is even scarier to consider. Um, yeah, you know, best team in the league goal, scoring goals, best team in the league not scoring goals, uh, not allowing goals, you know. What can you say about the Bruins other than, you know, Jim Montgomery, lots of credit there. They've lost five games in regulation through 46. How does, how? Like, insane. Yeah, they've been so, so good. You definitely highlighted the coaching as a big reason for that with uh, with Jim Montgomery. But it's interesting to me, too, with the Bruins because, you know, we've known for a couple of years, you know, you've got a little bit of an older core. We didn't even know if Bergeron was going to come back at all this year. Ended up signing a cheap one-year deal. You know, he's a free agent at the end of this year, as is David Pasternak, uh, as is other of their forwards, such as Nick Foligno, uh, Craig Smith. Thomas Nosek, David Krejci, all free agents. So really upfront with your forward core, you're really not too sure what that's going to kind of look like, you know, moving forward. So for the Bruins, this is, you know, kind of a big year, as you said, probably look to add at the deadline this year as well to really kind of bolster those chances. Definitely a team that's in a position where it's like, yeah, we would probably consider trading our first round pick this year uh, to add at the deadline. And, uh, you know, given how strong their decor and forwards is, they may be, or decor and goaltending is rather, they may be in the market for some of those big name forwards, like a Bo Horvat, like a Patrick Kane, even uh, like a Timo Meyer, even uh, at the deadline this year, which could be really, really interesting to see, you know, how Boston already this good, uh, you know, does in a situation uh, like that. So Bruins continue to play unbelievable, you know, flawless hockey. It really seems like. Uh, and as we just touched on a little bit, as it comes to uh, trade talks, kind of picking up around some rumors, some rumblings uh, around the NHL starting to pick up trade deadline this year on March 3rd. So still a little bit of a ways to go, but uh, always trying to get, you know, some ideas rumbling mentioned a couple of those guys who are pending free agents uh with Paul Horvat, Kane, Timo Meyer. Uh also reports out there that the Sharks may be dangling Eric Carlson, who's a you know a Norris candidate this year, having a really good bounce back year for his standards. We know about how great he was with the Senators and seems like at least offensively at least this year he's kind of refound that game. So could be an attractive option, even though uh rumors are that the Sharks want up to three first round picks for Carlson. So that may be a little bit out of the price range for some people, but uh doesn't hurt their uh uh, you know, general manager from, you know, finding out what options are uh, are out there at least. But uh, any kind of initial thoughts as we get a little bit closer towards uh, the trade deadline, Tani, in terms of uh, who may be some of those more attractive options for teams to go after? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I would say, first off, it's almost there, there should be no surprise that Bo Horvat will be traded. Uh, I would assume that it's earlier than the deadline. Uh, most teams right now, especially out in the East, uh, unless you're, you're talking about, hey, you know, we're going to go get um, we're, we're going to stay, stay put and, and try to do our best. Like, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if a team like the Bruins waited until the deadline and try to make moves, given the fact that they've got uh, such a crazy uh, advantage already with the, the, they're up almost 20 points, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but we do see a lot of times, I feel like trades kind of start earlier than the, the deadline. Uh, we kind of sort of hear talks. I think last year, a great example of this would be like Tyler Toffoli, who moved to the Canadians in February, about a month before the deadline. Now, this is somebody that I wrote down a, a list that I on my list of just like, there's always a little domino that hits and everything else goes downhill. I think that Bo Horvat would be the domino this year. It feels like that is the, the kind of the option, given the fact that the Canucks have been talking about trading him for two, two, three years now. Like we, he's been in rumors all this time. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that happen. Uh, you know, maybe with the sharks, the sharks are probably more willing to dangle their guys until the very last second, try to get the best package. Uh, whereas the Canucks may be in a sense like, Oh, we need to just kind of start moving away from this last era of Canucks hockey. Um, I think we, we were talking about a, a Bo Horvat trade within the next couple of weeks uh, with how things have, have, you know, kind of developed. Uh, apparently there are, um, still issues negotiating a long-term contract with him via Elliot Friedman. But Elliot Friedman's out here talking about how there's six or seven teams that have checked in on Horvat. When you get six or seven teams checking in on somebody mid-January, you got to think by mid-February the deal's probably done, uh, given the fact, you know, teams got to win games. So I, I would say, I think Bo Horvat would make a lot of sense to be the first person we talk about. And I think that he's on everybody's number one on everybody's trade bait list as a guy that it's almost a guarantee to see him go. Um, you don't often see a guy like Bo Horvat having a career year uh, be so 
constantly dangled and so constantly talked about. But I, I don't think you can get by without hearing, oh, Bo, Bo Horvat, 30 goals this year so far. He's he's over point per game. Imagine what he gets, only 27. Uh, it, it's You got to think it's coming. You got to think it's coming with an extension probably too. Um, so, you know, as soon as they get uh, ability to ex- extend him, you got to think, man, like the Bo Horvat deal has got to be coming soon with all the talk here. Yeah, I agree. I think Horvath's definitely a name that gets moved uh, at the deadline this year. One more name I want to touch on uh, for you, Don, to get your thoughts on if you think there is potential for this guy to get traded or not uh, before we get to the trade deadline is Dylan Larkin of the Detroit Red Wings. Red Wings kind of in a tough spot. I think maybe I forecasted a little bit stronger season from them, even though I still think they've got, you know, kind of that young core. They're, you know, going kind of the more development route, which I am definitely a fan of overall. But Larkin, a unrestricted free agent at at the end of this year, any chance you think the Red Wings could consider finding out what a package is for Larkin, uh, let alone just moving him overall? Yeah, I would say probably not. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They have more cap space next year than they have players being paid currently. That they're open. Uh, I think they have nearly forty-two million dollars of cap space open, uh, which comes from ten different guys that are UFA's this year from their roster alone. So I, I think you can look at a guy like Steve Eiserman and say, "Hey, he's trying to build a team quickly. He's not messing around here. The UFA's will go." A guy like Tyler Pertuzzi would be a little bit more realistic to be traded off the Red Wings. You got to think Dylan Larkin is like an eight-year nine. 0.5 mil per contract uh, just waiting to happen. You got to think they're going to pay him big money. I would be shocked. You know, you don't often see a guy like Dylan Larkin who I, I don't know how old he is. I'd say probably like 25, 26, but he's a point per game player. You don't see a 25, 26 year old point per game player traded like, like that. Uh, it would be shocking to me. I guess, you know, Maybe there's a chance with Detroit, given the fact that he hasn't made the playoffs in seven years, something crazy like that. I was uh, I was seeing the, the Red Wings broadcast was very upset a couple of days ago about the the lack of success in recent years. But um, trust the eyes are playing. I would say Dylan Larkin sticks around. I would I would guess at least. But um, I maybe I wouldn't be super surprised given the fact that they are a little bit more mediocre than I thought they would be this year. Yeah, I agree. I think the Red Wings end up holding on to Larkin, but definitely, uh, you know, not often that uh, a guy of his caliber even gets to this point. You know, I thought that the Red Wings would have looked to lock him up, uh, you know, last year when when the, uh, you know, July 1st rolls around and it's first day where they could start negotiating. And the fact that we're still at this point with Larkin, uh, you know, without a contract for next year is definitely uh, an interesting one for me. Also has a no trade clause. So um, that obviously presents a little bit of a, of a factor, too, that Larkin obviously has to agree to uh, a trade if there is one agreed upon so uh good thoughts there on uh trade deadline stuff all right and at that point uh that kind of concludes our hockey thoughts for uh this podcast uh so we'll get back into some more of those again next week but just kind of one more news and note around sports before we finish off with questions uh the carlos correa saga donnie this was a really fun one for us to follow over the last month or so on the show here but it finally reaches a close, signs with the Minnesota Twins. It's a six-year, $200 million deal, not a 12 or 13 uh, you know, year deal that we thought he might get with either the Giants or the Mets. So uh, the Twins, uh, as we kind of forecasted, uh, you know, maybe another team would bounce in there and offer a little bit shorter deal. That's obviously what ends up happening here uh, for Correa. So, uh, you know, kind of an interesting situation. Correa signed the one-year deal with the Twins last year after leaving the Houston Astros, hoping to, you know, cash out big this year. Doesn't happen with the kind complications uh due to his physical uh and then ends up going back to the twins uh in uh in his spot there in minnesota six-year deal there so uh as things you know wrap up what do you think about the fit for correa going back to minnesota uh and how that eventually wrapped up yeah i'm just i'm more surprised to see him go to minnesota given the fact uh you know i've said given the fact a lot today but literally given the fact that the mets signed him uh right after he was gone uh the i don't understand how that happened the same the same medicals, the same doctors, they were fine with it. Um, and then he ends up getting half the years and half the money than he would have got before. I have a hard time believing the Mets weren't willing to pay him this type of money on six years. Maybe he was just not interested in dealing with that, the tomfoolery that was in this offseason for him. Um, you know, enjoy the Twins, buddy. Like, it's it's you're never winning a ring there. Uh, in all likelihood, let's be honest, it's the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they've done some things, like they added Pablo Lopez, you know, great pitcher. Love, love Pablo Lopez. That's my guy. But, uh, yeah, you know, enjoy enjoy your money. Enjoy your payday with the Twins. You know, the Mets would have been the, the, the optimal place for you to end up. Uh, definitely, I'd say the Twins and Giants are probably on a similar playing field in terms of mediocre teams for the next couple of years. But, um, 
unfortunate for Carlos Correa. You know, he I'm sure he'll play baseball fine. There's there's been no issues. Um, I'm curious to see how he holds up here because well, let's right. say let's say ten years from now, Carlos Correa plays 150 games a year for the next ten years. The Mets and every other team that was interested in him long term uh, that didn't end up signing him, he's sitting there like, yeah, you know, maybe we should uh maybe we should have hindsight 2020 when the Mets don't win a ring after spending 800 million dollars for the next ten years. Uh, and Carlos Correa is out there hitting dingers for the Twins. Maybe they'll look back and be like, hey, maybe we 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 screw this one up a little bit. That's all I can think about. Yeah, it's an interesting one, especially after the Mets owner Steve Cohen comes out and he's like, oh, this is the missing piece. This is puts the cherry <laughs> on the top. This is makes us a championship caliber team. And then all of a sudden now he's a Minnesota twin. He's not a New York Mets. So, uh, yeah, just kind of a, a funny one, tough PR moment for Steve Cohen. But uh, I think he uh, he probably won't spend too much time thinking about it. He's got enough money in, in his life where he can <laughs> probably just uh, get over that one pretty quick. But definitely an interesting situation with Correa. Glad we could kind of wrap that up. Uh, we'll see how he does. Early thoughts, Donnie. Would you draft Carlos Correa in fantasy baseball next year? Give me a scoop. Sure. Not high. Uh He's a good player. I, I wouldn't have drafted him super high this year, and I, I don't think that you can with that lineup. Uh, for our fantasy baseball fans out there, if anybody's listening, uh, he's put himself back in a position where it's very mediocre around him rather than sitting in the Mets lineup where I think you could have said, hey, they were talking about maybe like a top three rounder, but now uh, he's sitting next to Joey Gallo and 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 Max Kepler. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, 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 we'll stay, we'll fade Carlos Correa this year. We'll fade Carlos Correa a little bit. Fair enough. He's still a shortstop with some pop, so maybe if he's hanging around a little bit late, best player available, but uh, we'll see. So uh, good thoughts there on uh, Correa. One more baseball thought here for us. Andrew McCutcheon, Donnie, he's a Pittsburgh Pirate. Feel good story. Heading back there, one-year deal, $5 million for the 36-year-old back to Pittsburgh. We know how great he was coming up in his career with the dreadlocks. He was running around, stealing bases, robbing home runs, hitting home runs himself. Uh, nice, good, feel-good story. Probably the last year for Andrew McCutcheon, if I had to guess. I imagine he'll retire as a Pirate. Don't think the Pirates will be winning too many ball games, but uh, It'll feel good for the uh, few fans in Pittsburgh that show up on a nice summer day uh, to go watch the Pirates, see Andrew McCutcheon out there running around. Uh, good stuff for uh, for Kutch, uh, the 36-year-old. Yeah, it's crazy. He's been gone. Think about this. Since 2017, it's been five years since Kutch. How did this? How did we get to this point? He's played for every team in the, in the league. He's on the Yankees. He played for the Phillies. He played for the, yeah, the Brewers this year. He was he was okay with the Brewers. He played for the Giants. Like. It's it's a shame that they even let him go. Cut should have been a pirate for life as a, a you know, what I would say, a former Pirates fan, somebody who lived in the city who enjoyed going to the games. Cut was like like Sidney Crosby-esque to Pirates fans. Like he, he meant that much. And people outside of the city don't necessarily understand it or might not recognize it. But uh, this is a man that wanted to be a pirate desperately um, went back to the Pirates after he could have went ring chasing. You have to respect it. You have to give Andrew McCutcheon some respect for saying, hey, I'm going to go back to where I started, maybe give it two or three more years, going to have a good time, enjoy myself. The Pirates are not winning anything, but it's nice to have that little veteran veteran leader in the locker room. I don't. There's not a team in the league that wouldn't want to have Andrew McCutcheon on the roster. So, Yeah, very fair enough. Good thoughts on uh, a couple of baseball signings. We had a lot of our baseball signings kind of early on uh, in the offseason, which was a nice change of pace uh, for the baseball world. So uh, nice that we've just kind of been rolling in some thoughts still, obviously uh, a little bit to go before we, you know, really get into baseball, but uh, good to kind of touch on some of those things here in the offseason. All right. End of the podcast now. We've got one question to ask here. It's my sister, Kira, designated spot for her right now. Simple question. It's only three words, Donnie. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but the best Wii Sport classic, absolute classic game, Wii Sports online. But Donnie, what do you got for me? What is the best Wii Sport? We don't do a best. We do a top tier. And I Perfect. had I had a top tier of two sports in there. So obviously, for anybody that never played Wii Sports, we got tennis, we got bowling, we got golf, boxing, and baseball are the main Wii Sports. Tennis, useless, boring, not exciting for me. Just it, it doesn't it doesn't emulate any fun for me. I don't enjoy it. Golf, the golf was fun, but it didn't really work as well as it should have. Like there were a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of uh technical glitches, I would say. And the boxing, obviously, if you're doing it with a friend, it's great. You get tired and everything. But the true uh, the heroes of Wii Sports, the tier one of, of Wii Sports baseball, without a doubt, greatest Wii Sport I, I've ever had. I had a lot of fun with that. And bowling, bowling. You know, the chase for 300 was something that I did quite a lot when I was a young child. I went out there. I probably have bowled on on the Wii, like maybe like like uh, like a thousand games, maybe. I, I've I've grinded um quite quite a lot on the Wii bowling. So my top tier baseball and bowling. I think it's fair. I it's just uh, memories, memories. We're we're going off of vibes here. 
I, uh, I hate none of those comms and I'm going with bowling in this one as well, but I'm going to give an honorable mention to Wii sports resort because there was a mode in that game where you could bowl and it could be like a hundred pin bowling. It was the most absurd I thing. About. I had to be whipping the bowling ball and all of a sudden like a hundred pins go down. I'm like, let's go. I'd be fired up. And they'd have like, you know, different like obstacles in the way. Like there'd be a like cinder block in the middle of the bowling alley. I got to like curve around it. it. It was good stuff. I feel like bowling for me is definitely top tier, but baseball, you know, baseball gets pretty intense. I got to say shout out to baseball as well. No, no fault there, but I'm just going with, uh, with bowling for, uh, for my answer on this one. Did you ever sword fight on Wii Sports Resort? Did you ever you ever get out there and do the, the little? It was it was it sounds, not, it sounds familiar for sure. Yeah, they, they had swords and and they had uh like you, you could get in a like wakeboarding maybe you could get on the water because okay. there's definitely a couple water which don't don't make any sense because you're on land just sitting here with a little remote <laughs> like it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense but uh, yeah basketball basketball was was mm-hmm. eh, and was bas- okay. basketball was inconsistent you know you're not always getting the arc off um ping pong. I remember ping pong. The ping pong was fun, but yeah, you know. I remember there was like a shooting one. It, it there was a shooting. Like, it's uh, true. Yeah, I, I I don't know what that what that thing is called, but it, it's, it's, like you know like, the, the plates fly by and you shoot. Yeah, like skeet, skeet shooting or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I know I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was um, a fun one. You were, so you were a wee a wee kid growing up. You had a wee. You played a lot of wee sports oh, yeah. games. Okay. We had a wee in the basement for sure. Okay, I I feel very bad for anybody who grew up in our our era that didn't have a wee in their in their household. Bad life. Let me tell you the, the the memories on the wee that just. Just, just built way different. In- incredible, incredible. Yep. Yeah, Kira and I got our hours in on the Wii <laughs> in the basement. Definitely rock band, rock band, not Wii sports related, but like shout out to Kira, best drummer in the in the rock band game, no doubt about that. I have to give a shout out for sure for that one. So yeah, fun question. There, I found these like uh, like videos on Instagram that were like people like recreating like Wii sports stuff. So this I think maybe prompted the uh, the Kira question here, but it was a good one. Shout out to Wii, good stuff. Uh, getting a, getting a nice chat about Wii sports done. I can't complain. Yeah, you know, we need to make like a like a grown up Wii for for everybody that's now in their twenties and looking for something to like. I, I that's just VR, make, isn't it? No, I want you to make a Wii. I don't want it to be that serious. I don't want to have a, okay. have a headset on or anything. I just want to have like like I'm sure I'm sure I could just figure that out, and I'm sure it exists. I just don't know about it. But uh, they need to make like a Wii 3.0 that competes with all the all the big consoles. You get out there, you get in the party with your friends, and you start playing playing baseball together. You play. We can get a hockey game going. Play sixes on the Wii. Think about that. Wow. Like. Uh, there was there was a Wayne Gretzky hockey game on the Wii. I don't know if you ever had that, uh, where you you literally played as as a player, like you were in with the stick. It was always really fun, but uh, it was not it was not not made well. The game was not not made great for for the the mid two thousands. It was uh, yeah. you know, the react the reactionary controls were were, you know, they they it's NHL twenty three esque how how mediocre the gameplay was. So there you go. We we do need a next gen Wii. We got to bring it back in some capacity. MLB Power Pros that was like my game, like for sure on the Wii. Definitely the game I grinded like so many hours on. Loved MLB Power Pros. So if like anyone's out there and they know what that is, shout out to you. You played a fun game as well. So all right, good stuff. Fun podcast. Nice little just chats about stuff going on in sports. It's nice that uh, NFL playoffs are uh, kind of carrying the way here for a little bit. It's fun stuff. Good topics. Donnie, I'll just pass it over to you. Wrap us up here. Thank you, everybody, who once again listened to the podcast. We have released quite a few episodes. We are every week now, pretty much Monday, Tuesday records. So as I mentioned before, you know, we we enjoy the schedule. Schedule's been great. Now, we really appreciate Kira for asking the question. You know, obviously, it's a little bit of a change. Usually, um, usually Kira's here. Sometimes you're your father. Sometimes we get random questions from Eric, which yeah. uh, not not in a while, Eric. If you're listening, we're disappointed. We're looking for the the eight eight pages of random question. What's your favorite moment from this? We got to be week? careful what we wish for, Donnie. It's true. It's true. I mean, Scotty G. I'm not. I'm not saying anything about Scotty G. I don't need it. <laughs> Oklahoma. I, I don't know what, what sports are going on right now. Is Oklahoma basketball any good? But uh, other than that, obviously, we appreciate everybody who listens. We appreciate everybody who asks questions. Um, Oklahoma basketball is bad, by the way. Just wanted to wanted to update that Oklahoma basketball not have a good year. Not not. <laughs> a pretty uh Follow that away basketball thing. just, just had, to, had to make sure they understand that if scotty g's listening this way um thank you everybody for listening we will talk to you again next week and peace everybody peace life couldn't get better this gonna be the best